This is Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. I'm Casey Smith, and this is episode 17. Now then, I wonder what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, Australia and New Zealand have pulled out of the World Cup. To be honest, I think this is just the start, but I'll be discussing that a bit later on. Also, what can rugby league learn from the 100? And there's a bit about attendances and all the games from this week in rugby league. But first, my guest on the show this week is Tom Halliwell, captain of England Wheelchair Rugby League. Tom speaks about how he got into the Wheelchair Rugby League and discusses his first England call-up at just 16 and then becoming the captain of the side just recently. First though, of course I had to start off with the Rugby League World Cup and his thoughts on Australia and New Zealand pulling out. Obviously it's going to be a big blow with them being the two main uh, international sides and um, it's a lot of what uh, it's what a lot of fans are wanting to see. They want to see the Australians, they want to see the New Zealanders, but um, it is what it is really. You just have to get over it. I mean, us wheelchair players, we're just focusing on ourselves at the moment and we're just keeping our preparations going anyway. Putting that to the back of our mind and we're going to turn up on November 11th when our first game is and, and be ready to play then. Yeah, do you think it is going to go ahead even without them? Um, yeah, I think I think it will. I think we're too far gone now. I can't yeah. think two months out from a major, major tournament and something that's going to break down boundaries in sporting history. I think it, with two months to go, you can't just call it quits now. Yeah. I think you can't be left Yeah. I think, to be honest, you know, they've not consulted anybody on it clearly because the players have come out and said we've not even been asked and you know they they say oh it's player welfare but they've not asked the players so how how on earth can it be and you know it's it's these men in suits who want to protect the nrl but you know this tournament's supposed to be the most inclusive ever you know with wheelchair and women but it's a decision taken to protect the men's game they've not really not really bothered about the women or the wheelchair, you know. Do you, is that what you think as well? Yeah, I feel I feel sorry for my counterparts over in Australia yeah. and like New Zealand because uh, obviously a lot of us work, uh, wheelchair and women's players still have full time jobs and we still work. And for the time off, well, for all the hard work that they've put in for these four years, they've booked time off for uh, um, time off to play in the tournament, and then two months after two months prior to the World Cup happening, been told that's not going on and now you have to go back to work and say, yeah. oh, can I have this time back? Can I have this and that? <laughs> so I do feel sorry for them on that sort of front, but um, yeah, I mean, it's time for them to really put a statement out there and, and it's up to the players now. And we, was England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, all the all home nations and all the other nations will back the players because it's, it's, we're all players were all part of the rugby league family and all players look after each other so yeah yeah i I think if if i don't think we've heard the last of this anyway i think this is just the start of it so this i'd stay tuned if i were you because you know if the players are you know obviously a lot of them are going to be upset if they if they say well we're going ahead with it anyway then they won't have any choice but to back down 
in my opinion anyway but that's that anyway so forget about that for now we'll start with your career then um what was your upbringing like you know you know we took many people talk about you know kids on xboxes these days and I know growing up I was on, <laughs> that's all I did really, a bit of football here and there, but that was about it. Uh, what, was, what was it for you? Um, mine were just, I mean, obviously I had a nice little dabble on, um, on the Xbox and PlayStation, <laughs> but I were pretty much out all the time, so uh, every weekend I'd be going up watching, playing rugby, watching the rugby, watching cricket, watching football playing football, playing rugby with my mates, playing cricket with my mates, and just, I let you out all the time. So I think that's where the love really came, because that's all I, all I did growing up, was watching, playing, and, and literally breathing rugby. So um, my upbringing were, were literally just sport-based, and and even if I did play on the Xbox or anything, it'd be like the, the old rugby league games that you could have on um, the Xbox, or I think they had one on the Wii, which me and my cousins were absolutely obsessed with at one point. And they were all FIFA and yeah. a little bit of college as well, but they were all just playing out and playing rugby and stuff. Yeah, so you always wanted to get into rugby league then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started when I was four years old, like playing running rugby, and um, my dream was to play for Leeds Rhinos and play for England. And um, Obviously, it's not gone that way in the running game, but in the wheelchair game, it's kind of... it's. I've, I've done that, so I've kind of lived a um, lived a dream, really playing for the Rhinos in England. But I, I've always, yeah, I've always wanted to grow up and, and, and play play rugby as a as a profession and and uh, do it at a really high level because um, I just loved it. Yeah. So, what was you like first? Uh, who was like the first person who like f- saw you and thought you know he's going to be a good player? Um, I used to be coached by uh, Andy Lynch, who was uh, Castleford Tigers player and obviously Hull FC, uh, Bradford Bulls player. He he um, he coached me for a while up at Kipex Welfare, and um, he really was my first coach. And then it was a sort of coach called Martin Gill. Um, he coached me up until about maybe year seven, year seven, and then he coached. He, the, the interesting story with Martin is. Um, he coached me from about 6 to 11 and then from 13 to 18 through both running game and wheelchair game right. so he coached me in both so that's an interesting story and an interesting <laughs> thing because he's always, he's always been a part of my life and now he's not coaching so it's, it's interesting to see what he's doing now and what I'm doing but I'd say early on early on there were a lot of coaches that said um, oh, he's, he's good, he's fast, he's this, he's that but um, I was sort of like a late bloomer when I got until high school so um, that's where I had to use my brain a lot more rather than my body. So I, I moved clubs to Alton Raiders in, in year seven, and that's where I, I, I think I made the most progress because I'm, that's where I got rugby smart. So I had um, Steve Fox, Mark Schofield, and um, David Furness. Uh, David Furness used to play pro at Cass. Uh, we got injured, so he had to, he had to retire. Steve Fox is, is, is an absolute phenomenal coach. Coached me at Alton and he, he would coach at Rhinos Academy for one stage and now I think he's at uh, Huddersfield Giants Academy. And he, he's an absolute unbelievable coach. And then Mark Schofield as well, very knowledgeable person and very knowledgeable and wise person to go speak to and about, about the sport. 
and um, they all all my coaches have really helped me out and sort of directed me in the way to, to be rugby smart and a smart kid as well. So did you get into the, the Leeds Rhinos Academy or was you playing for Ulton at the time? Uh, I played for Ulton. Right. Uh, all my all my mate, teammates were in the Rhinos Academy, so the likes of Jack Walker who's now playing first team now. They were in the same team as me, they were Harvey Whiteley, uh, Reese Chapman-Smith, Tom Hall. Literally they were like a squad of 18 players and um, I think maybe four, 14 got signed. So like, on academy contracts and uh, I, I wasn't one that got signed I unfortunately missed yeah. out I was injured all the time with dislocated shoulders and broken feet and stuff like that so I wasn't really too bothered because I didn't really play it particularly because I dislocated my shoulder all the time <laughs> so you weren't even though you missed out you weren't like devastated then no no I mean I've, I've always been thick skinned and tough blood so I knew that even if I didn't do that, I still—I mean, I'm, it's not the end of the world, really. I'm still, I'm still here. I've still got family. I've still got this, so I wasn't—I wasn't too bothered. Yeah. So you obviously got an injury. Uh, to talk us through that. Um. So how I got into the wheelchair game was was uh, I was playing play rugby, playing game at pullback, and uh, there I put a big high kick up in the air, and I went to go catch it. Right. And um, bought it, and then. Big Michelaya Ledsky, the proper rhinos now. He was running through and went to go get me and he tackled me, absolutely smashed me and then somehow managed to break my foot. So it was quite a bad break, to be fair. It was like two, three months out. So I, my nana and stuff like that were thinking, what are we going to do with him? Like He's just he's, he's here trapped up for two, four, two, two, three months not doing anything. So um, luckily my cousin played for the rhinos wheelchair side. Um, so he went. Why don't you just come across and, and, and train and, and see how, see how it is and, and do that? So I went. Yeah, go on then. So I went down for one session, and as soon as I got in, I just fell in love with it. It was it was literally like it, it was like a calling for me. It was like a life changing moment. Yeah, and so you were were you thirteen at this stage then? Yeah, thirteen. Yeah, yeah thirteen. So you know breaking your leg at that time and were you not thinking god this this is over sort of thing um i've, I've always had injuries too honestly. yeah <laughs> i'm very injury prone as a young lad i think i've broken most of my fingers and my hands <laughs> i've discated shoulder a couple of times and then breaking my foot and i almost fractured my neck when going through um just playing in the snow or something as a kid i almost fractured my neck but um I've always been like that injury prone sort of person. Well, touch wood. Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen soon. But, yeah, I won't. But it was just like one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'll just get over it and I'll come back from it stronger. I mean, I had that sort of mentality when I was 13, so. Yeah, so were you told that you pr- pretty much, you know, because you got the broken, you've had the injury, were you told like maybe you won't, you know, play what you might wanted to in the in the in the running game um well i probably think that we were probably a really tight group over like we were like a, a family and it was really really tight and i want to fuss because if if so if i'm not playing and I, I know one of my mates is going to get a chance and he's going to he's going to perform and he's going to take his chance well so i wasn't really too bothered about around i mean i was like as long as i was 
there and I was with the boys and I was with with my mates playing. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't too bothered to be honest because seeing them do well really made me happy and um, yeah I like seeing my mates do well especially <laughs> now. Yeah. So the first training session for the wheelchair, you you said you know you you enjoyed it like, but you know. Uh, what was it like just going there for the first time and you know not really knowing not you know I've, I've looked at some of the games you know like I've went I was thinking how how do they do the conversions how do they do the tackles you know is that what you were thinking as well yeah I mean that's what everyone thinks really going it going into it you're like wheelchair rugby it's like yeah. what how do you tackle how do you, how do, you do this and how do you do that but um, it, when I first went down I was more bothered about getting it by the chair I mean I yeah. literally like screaming you know, I like, literally like oh don't touch me don't touch me like that like, um, but it's getting it's getting um, being in control of the chair is that's the that's the that's the big thing like that's if, if you want to join or you want to um, join a team and we'll have a league or come down for a session the one thing that you need to do is control the chair because if you, if you if you get the chair going and you add a ball into it as well you try to pass a ball, and obviously you pass a ball, your hips move the opposite direction. Yeah. So then the chair will go one way, and the ball will try and go other way. So you end up spinning around in circles. <laughs> so at first, it's just trying to get get used to the the ball in hand and, and getting into the chair. But <laughs> uh, and obviously, getting into the contact. I mean, the contact sounds a lot worse than what it is, but <laughs> it's not that. It's not too bad. Yeah. And like when you do, you do get hit with the chair. Is it like whiplash sort of thing? It, it, it's literally like two. It's like a car crash. It's yeah, like yeah. Because um, yeah. you go if you're going in at pace, you've got two chairs going colliding in each other. It's like massive, massive contact. So it, that pretty much replicates like a, a big hit in in the running game, or yeah, in the running game, it replicates a big hit. So. There's, I think I think it's a lot faster as the wheelchair game. There's a lot more of those collisions, a lot more big hits, and it's a lot more um, strategic in the way because if um, you have to get your chair position 100% right to be able to stop stop someone coming at you at pace. So if you get your chair position right, then you stop them. Whereas if you don't get the chair position right, then boom, you've scored a break and then the through. Yeah. But uh, so it's all down to little margins. Which if you're watching come November time, then people will, will, will see that and find that out. Yeah. And so it, the team you joined, was that the Leeds Rhinos uh, wheelchair team? Yeah. Yeah, we were like, well, we, we had two teams at the time. We had a development side. Right. And then we had, like, the first team. So I was going through the development side and, um, well, the, either the, both the development side and first team wasn't, wasn't doing too well when I first signed. I mean, they were getting beat, like, 100 nil every game and <laughs> getting absolutely brownish and it was literally because um, these people have never seen rugby league before, so they didn't understand how to really play it. Yeah. So they just they just they just thought, oh, this looks fun, let's try it out, <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. And um, as soon as they gathered the rugby brain, that's where we started to get better as a team. And we've been on a slow progress from 20, 2013 up until now. I mean, we were the whooping boys in the league. We we're getting beat 100, 100 nil, and then we worked our way up to now being. Uh, well, in the Challenge Cup final this year, yeah. uh, sitting, sitting top of the league this year and, and winning uh, Grand Finals and, and Challenge Cups. 
Yeah, and so when you started, just from that first training session to like actually playing in the in the team, how, how quick was that? Uh, I transferred straight, uh, like a couple of weeks maybe, right. just because I had brain and rugby knowledge, so I I, I knew um, how to play. So I was straight up there because I I knew how to play, so I can guide people around the team, like as an as an halfback, which I am. I direct people across the field, so I used to just do that, and that's how I got like up to the first team in the, in the wheelchair side. Yeah, and, the, and then you obviously got called up to England. How did that come about, and you know what was that like? Um, I remember I was playing against Hull FC, I think, in the wheelchair side. We were playing against Hull, and um, I had I had a, I had a really good game. I think I set up like two or three tries, and I scored like two myself. And um, uh, I had the England, well, the England coach were watching that day. He goes, "Why did you come round for, for England trials?" So I, like, what do you think? You think you think I'm good enough? And he like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try it out and see how you go." So I went down, and I would never been as nervous in my life to go to a training session. Like I was sweating buckets before I even arrived in car. I was like, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh!" And then um, did the trials. Uh, didn't expect to get in, but but I, I got in, so I was absolutely chuffed. And um, I think this win two thousand and to start of two thousand and fifteen is where I first got into the England setup. And then that, that first training session was a was a definitely a wake up call. Yeah. With, the, with the level that you have to play at. Yeah. So you were sixteen at this stage then sixteen. Yeah. And compared to all the other players, were were they older? So were you like you know? I'm just, I'm just like a teenager, and these guys are, you know, full-grown men, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the guys were all twenty plus. I mean, I yeah. think Joe Collard were about eighteen, nineteen, maybe at the time. So he were he were a young one. So me and him were stayed close because we were the the young boys in in the group. But all the rest of them were t- mid twenties, thirties. I think we had Wayne and. Laney were in the forties, and so it's I, it's not just lear- like, it's like learning about how to be a role in men is like learning how to be a man when you're in that England setup. So I think I really learned a lot going through the the system at such a young age. Yeah, so then you go on to like your first match. What was that like? Um, that was that was, when I say scary. That was scary. I mean, I remember in. Um, in the tunnel before we go out and um, there's a, I think there's a picture of me somewhere and um, I would, I'm staring at the advertising board just staring <laughs> at it and like um, so, so I'm sat there staring at this advertising board like staring at it just thinking oh my god oh my god what am I going to do here and then I didn't realise that my person in front of me set off to go out out of the onto, onto the field onto the pitch and there's a massive gap between us, about 10, 10 metres between us, because I was just staring in my own world, <laughs> just scared. Yeah, so, but w- when the game like, kicked off, with that, you know, all the feelings had gone then, you just focused on the match? Yeah, but that's, well, that's what it's like for me. Yeah. Right now. I mean, I, I get for every single game, and the worst bit is to kick off to begin with, Yeah. because you're just like, oh, if you kick it to me, I'm going to knock on, then I've started the game awful. But for me, it's just getting that first involvement in the game. So yeah. as soon as I, I even even back then, it was just like, right, let's get involved straight away, and then we, I can ease myself into it. 
Yeah. So as soon as I got involved, and I was like, right, this is a breeze now. This is where I, this is my level, and I can control it. Yeah. And then you made captain quite recently. You know that must have been a, a big achievement. Yeah, didn't expect it at all. To be honest, uh, I would. I'm fine. I was fine with my role in the squad anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm part of the leadership set up like group anyway because uh, Jack Brown was our captain in '17, leading up to, to up to this. But he's he moved to Australia last year, and he thought he's coming back for the World Cup. But he moved to Australia, so it, it means there were a vacancy in captaincy. So everyone's been working towards it, but um, I mean, I was working hard, but I didn't really set my goals on on being captain. I mean, if I don't if I don't get it, then I won't be disheartened. I mean, we've got a, we've got a good group that I can call my captaincy, like co who helped me out with with day to day things in 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 general. So I've got like the likes of James Simpson, Wayne Borman, Joe Coyd, Sebastian Bachara, who were my four go to people where if, if, if something happens in camp well let's be like right what, what do you boys think or when something breakdowns in play then we're all we're like in like a, a leadership group and um so it's not just me on my own so yeah. um but yeah it's obviously a very very humbling and, and proud moment for for the family but i just i just see it as, as a job and i mean i need to do that i put everything for the boys and um all I care about is the boys, but as soon as I had to put that England shirt on, all I care about is, is, is the boys and, and doing the shirt proud and doing the boys proud, so that's why I do as a captain. Yeah, so you've achieved quite a lot, you know, you're only 21 now, so, you know, do you set yourself, like, certain goals to, to reach, you know, a certain amount of tries, certain amount of caps? Um, I don't really set a tries, I mean, I'm not really a try scorer, to be honest, yeah. I mean, Although the Wales game sort of, I mean, <laughs> um, now I'm, I'm, I'm more say I'm a I'm a creative spark. I like to create tries. I like to create things. So I at least want to be the most like uh, the top assist maker. That's that's what I want to be. I, I like to, I like to create tries. I like to create goals for people. I like to um, I like I like um, expansive rugby. So I like the way the way. Penrith Panthers are playing, for example. I like the way uh, Cass Tigers play, Warrington Wolves play. I mean, Leeds Rhinos sometimes, but not really being good. Going good, but um, yeah, yeah um, I like just playing rugby and, and being expansive and, and showing my creative side. Yeah, uh, and you've obviously quite you've got quite a few caps now. Do, do you know who the most caps wheelchair player is? I think it's Jack Brown. And how, much, how I mean, many has he got? He's been involved since about twelve or something right. stupid. <laughs> so, so, uh, I think he's probably got like maybe fifty, sixty or right. like something ridiculous. Yeah. Like he's he's the goat in the wheelchair game. He's, <laughs> he's the greatest of all time, without without doubt. Yeah. You might be knocking on his door soon. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I could even knock on that door, Jeez. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's levels in this game and he's a he's a freak. <laughs> Right. Um, so, in terms of like anyone who wants to get into the sport, you know, t- tell us a bit about it and like how they can sort of participate. But you can be man, woman, uh, dog. You can even be a chocolate bar <laughs> and, and, and play, play this sport. I mean, it's it's up for anyone. I mean, any, no matter what age, no matter what gender, no matter 
anything if you're disabled, non-disabled, anyone can be a part of this sport. And that's why it's so good and, and, and it's so inclusive that literally anyone can play this sport. So it doesn't matter how old or whatever. Um, just Google or whatever for your nearest team and you can go down and find out, get in contact for about training sessions and, and find out there. But it's literally just anyone can play and that's like, that's what I mean. It's like a, a broken record for us wheelchair players because we're trying to push as many things as we can, but it's like anyone can play, you can play. <laughs> so that, that's, that's all it is. Anyone can literally play the sport. Yeah, I, th- I think... It's quite unique because I think the union version you have to have a disability, I think. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's quite good, yeah. Right, we'll move on to some quick fire questions. Or, well, it depends on if you can think of the, these answers. <laughs> some, are, some, are, some will be, you know, trying to look back into your memory sort of thing. So first, let's start with uh, what music are you into? Um, R and B, a bit of eighties, nineties. Um, I like a bit of. I, mean, I like a bit of everything to be honest. Yeah, same here. I'm one of those, I'm one, I'm one of those all rounders where yeah. if you play, I'm gonna be like, oh yes, I like this one. And another genre, I like, I like this one. I like pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, so superstitions, have you got any? Um, I always have to have a bath day before a game. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's weird as it comes, but I always have to have a bath, listen to listen to some nice, calm, relaxing music, and just get get into a nice little head space and fall fall drifting into sleep. But I always have to have a bath. Yeah. That's my superstition. Uh, and what will what would your friends most likely describe you as? Um, <laughs> um, some some people say a saw, but some people say a what? Um, a saw. Uh, oh. oh right! I thought you said a saw. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like to say funny. I like to say I'm a funny character. So yeah. I think my mates say that. Uh, right. Um, most embarrassing moment. Did you get a telling off? <laughs> no, I just got I just got absolutely ripped apart by the boys afterwards. Did you win? The, yeah, yeah, we did, oh. but I just got ripped. Yeah, like imagine if you'd lost. <laughs> the, 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 thing, the thing is, the funniest part about it is, is the commentator jinxed me. I think I think the because he said he could kick this with his eyes closed. Oh god! So, so and then afterwards he said it looks like he did kick it with his eyes closed. And I was like. <laughs> Thanks, mate. So, could so, you hear him was... saying that while you were doing it? No, no, no I, didn't, I didn't find out. Oh. We, were game. We, were, we were doing a video review, and the next minute, all the, all the team room just burst out into laughing because he jinxed me and missing missing the kick. Oh. <laughs> and then, like, um, a gif of of that, that clip of me, missing the, of me missing the kick, and they just kept on putting it in the group chat all the time, so <laughs> never live it down. Yeah. Uh, so, another one. 
Uh, tell us something that people might not know about you. Oof. Um, I've once eaten a snail before. Oh. As in, I have not snail from the ground, not like a French snail. <laughs> so one that's alive. Yeah, yeah just straight away. I mean, I was like four or five as a kid. Oh, like right. four or four-year-old. I thought it was sweet. Funny looking sweet. Well, yeah, yeah, like, but my creative mind at four four you were sweet. So you didn't like it then? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, Definitely not. Straight away. Not fancy some uh, snails from a French restaurant then. I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm one of those boring eaters, I mean I just stick to what I like, I don't yeah. really go out there and fancy new, new sort of food so I'll probably have to turn the snail down from past experience <laughs> what food <laughs> chips and gravy <laughs> Ch- chips and gravy well for the world cup I mean I wish it could be chips and gravy but for world cup we're on a, we're on a diet plan so yeah. it's all strictly healthy food at the moment so well, what kind of stuff couscous and all that uh, a little bit of couscous um, more recently it's just tuna chicken Rice, bit of pasta, uh, loads of loads and loads of veg, um, and what else? Just loads of water as well. Yes, that's what my life consists of. Right. <laughs> Not much variety then. Not much flavour either. <laughs> you, you, you can do a lot of things with that. I mean, if you add the spices to it, yeah, it's sort of based every day. And um, oh, a lot of salmon, a lot of fish as well. You can't forget salmon. Do you like avocado? No. <laughs> yeah. That's it's all the rage these days. People putting it on toast for breakfast, and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Look at me. A lot of the boys, a lot of the boys love it on toast. Yeah. I can't, I can't get around. Stick to the old beans and toast. Yeah. The colour just puts me off. It's the texture for me. Yeah. And last one, uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Oh, my guilty pleasure is crispy creme donuts. <laughs> crispy creme donuts, the Nutella ones, or the... Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. Shows all out, I haven't had them in ages, yeah. I don't remember the name, but... Um, yeah, crispy creme donuts, if it's ever like a really, really intense game, or I've played a full 80 and burn them over, like ridiculous amount of calories playing I'll just go right boom crispy creme donut and then that's my my, my happy place yeah <laughs> I quite like the you know the loaded milkshakes with all sorts of your chocolate and cream oh in <laughs> our team oh my gosh he is a milkshake lover yeah we were on a we were on an England camp last week and I swear every single day he ordered a Uber Eats milkshake to come to the hotel <laughs> Yeah. Every single day, I think he had a quint Kinder Bueno or uh, Oreo cookie one. Every day after intense training, he goes, "You know what? I'm ordering a milkshake. Any any of you boys want a milkshake or anything like that?" He's the worst one for it. It's Nathan Collins. <laughs> yeah, are are you on delivery that much? Do you order many stuff? <laughs> Not really. No, I, I mean, uh, I'd like to say I make it myself. Yeah, but I try. I, I tried cooking the other night 
and I almost burnt the house down, so I just let my nana cook for me now instead. <laughs> yeah, I've been on there the quite a lot, and you, then you look at your bill and you think, well, not just the bill of the the thing you've ordered. Then you look at yeah, yeah, you you look and think, oh. A several hundred quid on takeaways. God, what am I doing? <laughs> That's literally what it is. It's just like, oh, do you know what I fancy that? I'll have that now. And then yeah. next minute, you just check your banking like, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, that's the end of them quick fire questions, anyway. Uh, so, you're teaching now? Is that uh, what you're doing? I'm an educational sport worker, right. so I'm literally like a. Uh, an assistant teacher in, in like a, a mainstream school but uh, we look after SEN kids so that's kids with autism ADHD or any like uh, behavioural problems or anything like that so that's that's what I do for a living I spot them I spot I'm spot teacher I spot kids um, if the kids needs help or in crisis or anything we take them out to nice little have a, have a walk around or just get, get their head back on screwed on a little bit and, and sort them out and help help, help them out really So how did you get into that then? Did you always want to do something like that? Well, funny enough, I mean, I, I used to help out at my old primary school and uh, just helping coaching rugby because all I wanted to do was coach rugby and coach different sports. So I had a job coaching sports. And then obviously I volunteered to go help in my old primary school. My old primary school teacher goes, you know what, Tom, you'd be a good teacher. Why do you try to get into something like teaching-wise? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, don't really want to do it. Carried on coaching for a while, and then uh, this opportunity came up where my manager at the uh, coaching company said, "Right, um, there's there's been a place where where they need need like uh, sports staff, and we think you'd be brilliant for it." So I went, you know what, go on, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll see it, I'll try it out. Went for a test there, and then I uh, signed up next day on like permanently on 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 on, on the teaching staff. <laughs> so I. I, I into it. I just got I just got asked to go down for a visit, see how it went, and then signed on the next day. Tom Halliwell, there. Now then, on to the World Cup. First of all, I think the decision by Australia and New Zealand is a disgrace. It's a decision purely, purely out of self-interest. They ba- they've been banking on about player welfare. You know, oh. Covid play welfare. It's it's really not. As I mentioned in the interview with Tom, you know the reports are saying there's been no consultation whatsoever. There's a survey out. Seventy five percent of the players want to come to this tournament, and yet they've not been asked. the The players' union have come out and said they've not been asked. So if it is about player welfare, then surely you first. Your first thought would be right. Let's uh, address the concerns of the players. Well, they've not even been considered. And let's be honest, it's all about protecting the NRL. And I, I'm, I'm assuming money is is a main factor here, and contracts and TV deals. You know, uh, the week before this announcement came out, everyone had signed the participation agreement, saying they're coming over, except for Australia. So. Australia have managed to convince New Zealand to pull out as well. Now, I wonder what the discussions were there, because uh, a week before that, 
New Zealand were quite happy about player welfare concerns and they were quite happy to come over. And then one week later, suddenly, oh no, we can't come over because of player welfare. I'm really sorry. Well, something is not quite right there, really, is it? I wonder what's changed. Let's be honest, the tournament, it's got to go ahead. It really has to. You know, Australia and New Zealand being out of it, it's a big blow. But, for me, if if they don't want to participate in International Rugby League, then fine. You know, they'll get left behind, I'm afraid. If you ain't playing any t- international games, then let everyone else crack on with it. But you can stay where you are and we'll carry on moving forward. So, yeah, it's a big blow if they're not in the tournament. But I'm afraid if it's delayed, it's it's even worse. It's even worse of a blow. The virus is not going anywhere. Look at the tournaments that were in 2020 that got shoved over to 2021. Do you spot a pattern? Because I do. They were still affected by COVID. And, yeah, we're probably in the best position now, you know, Whereas last year we wasn't. However, if if we're in the best position now, let's get it done. I don't think we, you know, look at how many tournaments this country has held successfully. Look at Tokyo now. There's no crowds. There's no anything. You've there's there's a, an enormous amount of protocols. Athletes when they finish, they've got to go back home. Now, who knows what's going to happen next year? The the virus could swing back around. None of us are scientists, but what we do know is, right now, we are the most unrestricted as we have ever been since this virus has started. So, this is the best opportunity. Full capacity crowds are returning. If you kick the can down the road, we're just going to be having the same discussion again. Did Australia say they're not even doing any flights for God knows how many years as well? So, there's... This is going to last for ages. If 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 we push it back, we will never. This tournament will never be played, and that's not even to mention the fact that millions have been played into this tournament. You know, government have contributed quite considerably. Stadiums have been booked, training bases secured, so many protocols catered to. So much millions of pounds have gone into this. If it's delayed, who's going to stump up the cost for all that? When it's played next year, if it is, which it probably won't be, what 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 stadiums are going to be available? Can you still have the same training bases? You know, there's a there's a hot hell of a lot of extra cost that's going to go into that, and I'm afraid we don't have the money. Look at the game over here. We're already having our, our money reduced next year. You know, it's got to happen now or never. Now, the interesting bit about this is Australia were able to convince New Zealand to pull out. And yet, if they was having those discussions and getting people to agree with them, to follow in their footsteps, then how come Tonga, Fiji and the rest of the nations, how how come they couldn't convince them? Because... If, if they're going round to New Zealand, you'd assume they would also be having discussions with those uh, federations too. So, I think it's telling that they weren't part of it. And, um, yeah, I echo what Tom Halliwell said in the interview then. 
the people it really affects is the wheelchair and the women's. Because as he said, you know, people have had work, uh, time off work. And yet, they've been told that they're not playing because of a decision made by a couple of men in suits. You know, I'm sure loads of people are devastated. But yeah, I think this is a power play. And this is only the start of it. We've already got reports that they're setting up a, an indigenous team. Players are going to go to other nations. We've already seen players going over to Tonga and, you know, what in the past. Well, if Australia don't want to play internationals, they won't have any place left to play them. You know, I think the tournament will be just as good with or without them. You know, you can have... And if the International Rugby League, uh, I think they need to, we need to see some strength now because it's my understanding that they, they can recognise a team uh, like an Aboriginal side or um, one that's over here in the UK, so like a Super League side of Australian type thing. I'm sure they, it's in their remit to recognise that as Australia and if if that is the case then you know I think that's what's going to happen but my god let the players bloody decide for god's sake but we'll start we're on Monday now I wonder I wonder by Friday what will have happened then you know as is always the case in rugby league it, there's a crisis well not not even every week it seems now it's it's, it's every day but yeah, that's my thoughts on the World Cup. Now then, did you watch the 100 in the cricket, the new competition that has been speeded up? It, it takes less time. Now, I'm not a cricket fan. I never have been. So I never watched a cricket game in my life. Never played it. Was te- when When we had to play it in school, I was terrible at it, you know. I could just about hit the ball <laughs> without whacking the wicket behind. And then, you know, even if I hit it, it was either caught or it went, you know, a couple of yards in front of me. So we're never good at cricket, never liked it, thought it was terribly boring. And funnily enough, for some reason, my PE teacher decided I'd be good for the cricket team. Why he made that decision, I do not know because I was awful and I think it was the first cricket team that the school had had so we went to this cricket field to get some school and we was absolutely battered I don't know I don't really know what the scoring is in cricket but it was like they had about 100 runs and we had like 15 or something like that so it was pretty shoddy you know pretty terrible they were there like the professionals and we were just like any old, you know, n- never even played it before. So <laughs> that's just a little story about about my um, involvement in cricket. But yeah, with all that considered, you know, well, I'm not really target audience for cricket. I think it's really crap to be honest. But I was there watching it. I only, I watched about half an hour's worth and then switched on the darts. I might have watched the whole thing if it weren't for darts, but. You know, I'd rather watch darts. But a hell of a lot of money has been put into that tournament to, you know, attract new audiences. And it's all this young people these days, isn't it? 
everyone seems to want young people of every single sector it seems which is even for me as 22 years old it's slightly frustrating so yeah the start of it i thought god is this like cbbc uh, covering the cricket it that's how it felt like with with the when that greg james was on discussing it all it felt a bit cbbc standard but and then and then when the, when it kicked off i think they got quite some good figures as well but watching it to be honest i didn't really have a clue what were going on the referee didn't even know what were going on either i think they they said a certain rule and then she had to say oh sorry no it's not that it's not that and i thought god if the referee doesn't even know what's going on then any of us don't know either and then after five balls they kept shoving up some white card and i was like what what's going on here but I guess that doesn't really matter, to be honest. That is not the point of it, because several millions of quid have been put into this, and they've been able to attract people who wouldn't be interested in it. The young I'm apparently this younger audience. Well, I was sat there watching it. Whether I liked it or not, it's not really the point. It was the fact that I sat there and watched it. So I think Rugby League has got a lot to... Uh, learn from that you know a bit of good marketing you know the way it looks uh, you know there's certain people to advertise it all that sort of thing is going to get people interested and let's be honest as I've already said cricket is a horribly boring sport I'm sure it's got its fans it has obviously but let's be honest it's so stop start I really can't do with sports that are stopping and starting, which is another reason why I really can't watch Rugby Union. It seems, you know, every time I try to watch that and it's like, the referee blows his whistle all the time and the game never gets going. It's the same with that cricket, really. And and when, when they do hit the ball, the ball goes wherever it goes and then they do a bit of running and then they do it again. There's not many wow moments. There's not many, you know, things to get you off your seat, on the edge of your seat. You know, in in rugby league, there's plenty of that. There's the big tackles. There's, you know, there's evading through players. There's an offload, good kicks, 40-20s. There's all sorts of stuff in rugby league that's like, wow, look at that. And... It's intense, it's fast, it just carries on and on and on. There's not many stoppages whatsoever. And for me, if they can do if they can do all that with the 100, which is a boring sport, and the reason they've done this is because people are switching off of it, because it's not that exciting and because it goes on for so long, etc, etc. And then it still ends in draws and whatnot. So they've took a sport that's kind of really dying especially with the people growing up, uh, young, the younger audience, and they've they've made it sort of sexy, I suppose. So, you know, if anyone's got their head screwed on in rugby league, then what are the opportunities there, you know? But, yeah, that that's just a bit about the cricket anyway. To be honest, I don't think I'll be watching it again, but, you know, the fact is I sat down and watched it, so... If they can convince me to watch cricket, 
they convince they can convince a lot of people to watch rugby league that they don't usually watch it. But and I I understand that loads of money has gone into it and rugby league doesn't really have that. But you can still do that on a smaller budget, I think. Right, on to attendances because we're quickly running out of time again, as always on this podcast. I think attendances haven't been that good, to be honest. I think Wigan got five and a half thousand recently. Last, you know, the last game they played. Some other teams not really doing well in attendances either, and it's probably because of all of this uncertainty over COVID. Interestingly, Hull KR and Hull FC, uh, I think it's held at Hull KR's ground. They're restricting the capacity to 8,000 so that there'll be a stand where if you're apprehensive about crowds and whatnot, you can go into that certain stand where there's still distancing and whatnot and everybody else who ain't bothered can go in the full crowd. So that'll be interesting to see if if there's a, if if that's sort of a way forward. But I think uh, teams have got to look at their price, ticket pricing really, because... I think Wiggins' game were 22 quid, which I suppose is not that much, but for me it certainly is. And I were considering going to that match and I thought, 22 quid, and I can go to Rochdale for 10 quid. And for me, that's a no-brainer there. (laughs) You know, that's an extra game I can buy as well. And I think Lee have been putting out some ridiculous prices as well. And I think these teams who are struggling for attendances, well, they've just got to take a look at what Rochdale are doing, what Barrow are doing, you know. They're getting quite big um, attendances. And whilst it might be lower than what Super League has, in terms of their average, it's way above that. So... Make it affordable and people might come. That's just my opinion anyway. Right, there's barely any time to discuss the fixtures. <laughs> Although there's not that many anyway because we've had more postponements and we got more next week. And I think the last time there was a full round of fixtures in Super League, it was the end of May. Well, we're nearly in August now. But forget that. Um... Catalans beat Hull KR 32 points to 30. Just a bit about Hull KR. Well done to them for stepping in and deciding to go to Catalan Dragons when they weren't even down to play them. Uh, And even, you know, they were winning it quite... You know, they scored loads of points, but Catalan Dragons came back. So, unlucky to Hull KR. Well done to them for going to France anyway. Leeds beat Salford 38 points to 16. Quite a bit of indiscipline again from Salford. They're going to have to work on that. Leeds 38 points. I don't think they've scored that much this year. So I suppose that's a that's a win. That's a good win for them. Wigan 25 points to 12. I think Wigan could have got more points than that. I don't know. I think they did they not score in the second half. So an okay performance. Although I think. When they faced Wakefield before, they've in the past, they've they've lost a few times, so they beat them. So I suppose, you know, and Huddersfield beat Hull FC forty points to twenty six, and there were no Aidan Caesar, 
and I don't think we'll be seeing him again actually because he's signed for Leeds and Ian Watson has said well he probably won't be playing I think it was a different side to Huddersfield that we've not seen this year they all seem to be on the same page battling, fighting and I think if, if they started off with that then they might have been a lot better than what they've been and Hull FC, some some of their defending was just not up to the scratch, I'm afraid. But yeah, into Championship. Sheffield nearly beat Halifax. Great performance, I suppose. You know, Halifax had been top-notch, but it weren't to be. Partly beat Newcastle, 42 points to 12. Featherstone came from behind to beat Bradford. Whitehaven beat Oldham. Oldham were winning at several stages. They should have won that game. And if they want to stay up, that were the game to to win. Swinton lost again, 46 points to 10. Uh, I'm afraid I can't see past Oldham and Swinton going down this year. London beat West Wales. West Wales ran them close. So, well done to West Wales, I suppose. Uh, Hunslet drew to Keefley and Barrow won again, 40 points to 12 against Coventry. That was it for this week. Now, in terms of the weeks coming up, there's some good guests on. Next week, we've got the new Wigan signing, Abbas Miski, who's a Lebanon international player. You'll be listening to his story. The week after that, we've got the new signing for Sheffield Eagles, Ollie Butterworth. He's, he's, been, a, he's been in the army. He's also been part of the GB uh, bobsleigh team. So, you know, I'm sure that's going to be a good listen. That'll be the week after that. So if I were you, I'd stay tuned. See you next week.